Welcome to the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. For over 30 years, Paul Stone has been seriously handicapping college football, college basketball, and PGA Tour golf. Over the past five seasons, spanning almost 600 releases, Paul has hit 55% against the spread in college football, gaining the respect of sports books and bettors throughout the world. He is monitored by highly respected the Sports Monitor of Oklahoma City. Paul has also won two major Las Vegas football handicapping contests and finished in the top four in two others. Each week, Paul will provide exclusive handicapping insights on the podcast. To receive Paul's exact picks each week, you can sign up for member-only access at paulstonesports.org. Now, on to the show. Well, college football fans, uh, week one is in the books, and what a weekend it was. Uh, first of all, three Big 12 teams, not a good week for, uh, for the Big 12. Three Big 12 teams fall as uh, large favorites. Uh, first of all, four touchdown favorite Baylor ambushed at home by Texas State of the Sun Belt Conference, uh, 42 to 31. Uh, then you had two touchdown favorite uh, Texas Tech. They stormed out to a 17 0 uh, first quarter lead there in Wyoming, uh, Laramie, Wyoming, uh, only to ultimately lose 35 33 in double overtime to the Cowboys. And last, but far from least, in the shock heard round the college football world, Colorado, uh, and his first-year head coach, Deion Sanders, also known as Coach Prime, a stunned defending national runner-up TCU, 45-42 in Fort Worth as a 20-and-a-half-point underdog. You talk about a turnaround. Last year, Colorado won an 11 Arguably, and maybe not even arguably, but arguably, I'll say the nation's worst Power Five school uh, football team in the nation last year. But in the new age of the transfer portal, uh, rosters can be essentially turned over completely uh, in a single season, which is what uh, Coach Prime uh, did there at Colorado. Uh, And for at least one game, uh, it worked beautifully uh, in Boulder. Uh, Before I forget, hello again, everyone. I'm Paul Stone, uh, and this is going to be episode 119 of the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. This week's episode titled, There Are Three Certainties in Life. You know, it used to be uh, in a previous period of, of college football that college football handicappers, guys like myself who make power ratings, would not adjust a team's pie rating by, say, you know, more than three or four points, uh, even after the first week's results, three or four points up or down, you know, based on that first game. But in the age of the transfer portal, uh, you know, that is antiquated thinking in my mind. You know, you've got to be fluid. You've got to be you can't be resistant to change. You have to be open to change. Your eyes have to be wide open. The game is changing in so many ways. So that's antiquated thinking. And depending, you know, on whose numbers you choose to believe, we are different numbers as far as how many new players Colorado has on its team this year. Somebody said 90. You know, you only have 85 scholarship players, so that would include some non-scholarship players, but it's at least somewhere in the 80s. 
So Colorado has 80-something new players on its uh, roster. So it's essentially an entirely new team. And I don't say that lightly. You know, I, I thought it would take them time to gel, but it didn't on Saturday. Uh, and, and with the, the amount of, of offensive firepower that they have, that they possess, I mean, they got quarterback Shador Sanders. I know his dad was kind of poor mouthing like he wasn't a highly sought after recruit, but he was a, a highly ready quarterback that many people wanted. Then their wide receiver defensive back Travis Hunter, who played a total of 129 plays on Saturday against TCU at wide receiver and cornerback. Travis Hunter was the number one recruit, not the number three recruit, not the number five recruit, but the number one overall recruit in the ESPN 300 class of 2022. So he was the top recruit in the nation. So everybody uh, from sea to shining sea wanted Travis Hunter. And then their true freshman uh, running back, Dylan Edwards, he caught a lot of balls out of the uh, backfield uh, for the Buffaloes on Saturday, a big-time recruit, a one-time Notre Dame commitment uh, at one point. So he was headed to South Bend before Dion came in the picture and uh, switched his uh, allegiance, uh, allegiances. So they've got some offensive players. I just didn't think he'd come around that quickly. Uh, they certainly are going to be uh, a little bit defensively challenged, at least they are at this point. They didn't have any uh, tackles for loss against TCU on Saturday, and there were a lot of plays. So uh, that says something I think about you know, where they are defensively. But at this point, I'm going to be surprised as of today, and as I record, it's Wednesday, September 6th, uh, shortly after 5.30 p.m. Central Time. But as of today, if Colorado doesn't at least break even, go 6-6 six and six in the regular season, and qualify for a bowl game, I would be surprised. They, they've got some, some offensive players. So looking at my power ratings, I actually adjusted Colorado's power rating. And I hate to even say this because some of the guys I've communicated with through the years, they might uh, banish me to the uh, – to the basement or something, but I adjusted Colorado's power rating by 11 points. Uh, adjusted Texas State's power rating by 10 points, the team that upset Baylor there. You know, those type, again, those type of uh, massive corrections, if, if you will, uh, would have been unheard of uh, in college football in days gone by. But it's a new day. These times are a changing indeed. So back to this week's uh, theme or title, which is there are three certainties in life. I'll preface those three certainties by saying that my list of three, and I'm confident you can name the first two, that my list of three might seem to be in contrast or conflict with my comments about the dramatic adjustments I made on the power ratings of both Colorado and Texas State. But without further ado, my three certainties in life. Uh, one, of course, for all of us, is death. Two, of course, for all of us, <laughs> is taxes. And three, if I could get a drum roll uh, added, I would. College football media and fans are going to grossly overreact 
to week one's results. You know what, again, I'll say some could uh, fairly challenge me for, for doing the exact same uh, thing in the case of uh, Colorado and, and Texas State, at, at least. But I would counter by saying that Colorado and Texas State, again, they were essentially totally new teams with, with first-year head coaches in both cases who chose to almost completely make over their school's roster via the transfer portal. You know, whereas, as I said earlier, some have suggested that Colorado has as many as 90 new players. It appears that Texas State and its new uh, first-year head coach, G.J. Kenny, uh, added 51 or so players in the low 50s anyway. So those two teams, their beginning power rating was almost, I'd say, just taking a shot in the dark, but you just really don't know. I mean, the personnel is new, uh, arriving from all different levels of competition from throughout the country uh, and, and had, you know, little time to, to gel and organize many of these transfers, not even in for spring practice. You know, they get their first exposure in real drills with the team in early August. So it's just a quick turnaround. It's a lot of new faces and it's incredible. It's only one game and that's kind of the, the premise of today's podcast, but they were really uh, effective and really grossly exceeded my expectations, both those schools, in week one. And I'll add, you know, it's one thing to add six or eight players through the portal, which is pretty common for everyone, or even, you know, I'll say, you know, 10 to 12 or so. But it's quite another when 60% or more of your scholarship players are coming from other schools and are new to your program. I'm going to go ahead and do a quick uh, promotion for my service, Paul Stone Sports. Uh, off eight straight winning seasons against the spread as monitored by the highly respected the sports monitor of Oklahoma City, Paul Stone Sports. Off to a good start again in 2023, going five and three against the spread over the season's first two weekends of college football. Since the start of the 2015 season, spanning more than 925 premium releases, I have hit a monitored 55.6% against the spread. Uh, If hitting that percentage, 55.6% against the spread over that period of time uh, at a legitimate monitor, you know, doesn't resonate with you, uh, then I'm not your guy. You know, no problem there. But if it does, or if you at least have interest, uh, please visit paulstonesports.org. I offer proven, legitimate performance over a long period of time at a reasonable rate that makes sense. Again, if interested, please visit paulstonesports.org. So now my week one observations on a handful of teams that are either getting overpraised by the media uh, and others maybe that are being left for dead uh, when perhaps it would be best to understand that there are at least 11 remaining games uh, and the season uh, hasn't necessarily gone to heck in a handbasket for those schools. You know, first of all, let's start with the Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, one of my favorite sayings that applies directly to handicapping is it's oftentimes not so much how you play, but rather 
who you play. You know, some teams simply have superior talent, far superior talent to their opposition. You know, to put it in schoolyard terms, you know, sometimes I equate it to the sixth grade playing the fifth grade. You know, they're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster, um, they're a year further along in their physical and their mental development for that matter. So Oklahoma State, they played their uh, opener this Saturday, this past Saturday, played Arkansas State of the Sun Belt Conference. Arkansas State's a team that went 6-26 and 26 straight up the previous three seasons against FBS opponents. Three of those wins came against Louisiana Monroe. Another came over UMass. So the Red Wolves, they're not going to be confused again with the 85 Bears. You know, they're, not a, they're not a great football team. So the Sooners, you know, they took care of business. They annihilated Arkansas State, beat them 76-0. to Some are now acting as if they're a top-10 team. And, folks, they may be at some point this season. But a decisive, eye-catching victory over a bottom-15 program doesn't move the needle much in the real world, the betting world. You know, there are still legitimate concerns about the Sooners' defense. In Arkansas State, they simply don't have the uh, offensive personnel to even potentially expose any vulnerabilities. Are the Sooners better? Probably. You know, I would say almost certainly. You know, last year's 6-7 and seven mark, extremely uncharacteristic for one of the best programs in all of college football. Now Brent Venables is in his second year as head coach. Uh, their early schedule is not really that difficult. Um, they do go to Cincinnati in a couple of weeks, but it might not be until that first Saturday in October uh, when they play hated rival Texas in the Cotton Bowl that we really get a clear read on the Sooners. So kind of pump the brakes a little bit on Oklahoma. They are better. A big victory with a big number that really catches people's attention over Arkansas State. Don't give it too much um, too much weight in your handicapping process. Another team uh, that's getting a lot of early love, and they've played two games now, actually, are the Notre Dame Fighting Irish and their newly minted transfer quarterback, Sam Hartman. First of all, I want to say I like the Irish. I have a ticket on the Irish here in a couple of weeks and a game of the year that I probably got back in March, but I've got Notre Dame at home uh, that fourth week of the season. Uh, plus nine over Ohio State. And I like that ticket. I think that game now is about probably seven uh, is what it would be. So I've got plus nine Notre Dame over Ohio State. So I like the Irish. And, and Hartman, no question about it, he definitely represents an upgraded quarterback. But we've got to see them play somebody in their own weight class. You know, they, they were punching way down in those first two opening victories, uh, wins over Navy. Uh, an FCS member, Tennessee State. Those two teams, they currently have an average rating of 153rd in Jeff Sagren's college football ratings. And you say, well, there's only 133 FBS teams. Well, Sagren's ratings uh, blends FBS and FCS schools. So Navy and Tennessee State, an average rating of 153rd. Uh, we're going to get a little bit better read uh, idea about the Irish this weekend when they travel to Raleigh, North Carolina. 
uh, to play ACC member North Carolina State. But a word of caution, you know, although I believe the game could be close, um, you know, this does not appear to be one of Dave Doran's better additions at first glance. I mean, they're they're a, a solid football team, but he's had some really good, you know, teams over the last six or eight years. I don't think this is one of his better teams. And no matter what happens on Saturday, again, we're certainly going to get some clarity in two weeks from this Saturday, again, when the Irish host national power Ohio State. As for, you know, Hartman, this is clearly a better situation in South Bend uh, than he had at South, at Wake Forest, rather. He's surrounded uh, by better talent. Uh, clearly, than he had at Wake Forest. Notre Dame, the fa- uh, the last few years, has had one of the best offensive lines in all of college football. This season looks no different, so he's going to have better protection. He's going to have a better opportunity to exhibit his skills under uh, less duress, likely, uh, to put it bluntly. But Hartman's a guy. He played four and a half seasons of football at Wake Forest. He threw a lot of passes there. But in 2021 and 2022, he threw a total of 26 interceptions. He had an interception rate of 2.78%. And I know most people probably don't follow interception rates closely. That's not exceptionally high, but 2.78% is higher than the national average. So let's see how he performs against better defenses who have better better athletes, uh, can come at you from different angles, can cleverly disguise coverages and confuse quarterbacks and things like that. Again, he's good. Uh, he's above average. You know, certainly, again, better than what they've had under center at Notre Dame in recent seasons. But let's hold off, at least for now anyway, on making those early December hotel reservations in New York City. I'm going to go now over, uh, I'll tell you what, let's go to my uh, complimentary pick. I'm kind of just looking at different notes. I'm going to go and do the complimentary pick. It's going to be a total in what many, I think most would probably say, is the marquee game of the week this Saturday at 6 p.m. Central kickoff at Bryant-Denny Stadium in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Alabama currently favored by seven or seven and a half over the visiting Longhorns. The total down to 54, 54 and a half at some stores. It was 56 and a half earlier in the week, so it has come down. But I'm going to offer a total opinion in this game. First of all, I'm going to start by saying last year, Texas played two top five teams, those being Alabama and TCU. And in those games, the Longhorns only rushed for a total of 107 yards, averaged only 1.9 yards per carry, and that was with B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson. So I think the Longhorns against the Tide on Saturday are going to have some difficulty running the ball. Third and two and probably even third and one uh, in some cases, they're going to be throwing it. You know, I expected uh, Texas's offensive line to be much improved in 2023 uh, with a year of seasoning and experience. Uh, but they were, again, it's just one game. We've talked about that already, and that's the theme of this podcast. But they were far from dominant uh, in last week's opener against Rice. You know, Ewers was not 
back there in a clean pocket, you know, attempt after attempt. He had some uh, some owls around him. So uh, let's don't get confused. Alabama's not rice. So, <laughs> you know, let's see what that offensive line does. Sometimes you step up to your, your level of competition. And, again, it was only uh, one game. Also, Quinn Ewers, their second-year starting quarterback, uh, one of the highest-rated prospects to ever. He might be the highest-rated prospect ever in the ESPN. PN 300, uh, for that matter. Fairly, to this point, he hasn't lived up to that huge billing, and it is a huge billing. But, uh, you know, Ewers, he, he didn't look like the Heisman candidate that many have made him out to be uh, in the offseason in game one. You know, Texas is going to take uh, in this game against Alabama, again, looking at this total, which we're going to play under. Texas is going to take its share of shots downfield in the vertical passing game. Know that from the get-go. Know that you're going to see Xavier Worthy, A.D. Mitchell, um, Chante Cook, their true freshman, uh, Jatavian Sanders, their tight end. You're going to see guys going vertical. Texas is going to take some shots. Uh, so if you like that kind of football, you're going to, you're going to like this game because they got to get big chunks. And uh, also Alabama's got a couple of injuries in the secondary. Those guys are said to be uh, uh, questionable, one of those being – preseason all-SEC selection, uh, Malachi Moore, and then a transfer from UAB, uh, who also, I believe, started the opener against Middle Tennessee State, uh, that being Jalen Key. Those guys are iffy for the Texas game, but Alabama's got a really strong secondary, and I, I think at least one of those guys will probably play, so I think they'll be all right back there. So, again, examining this total, you look at Texas defensively, they are improved, uh, especially up front. And in the back four in the secondary, they are really good. Got a lot of veteran players. Um, you know, Jalen Milrow, who will start at quarterback for Alabama, an outstanding uh, athlete, has a strong arm. But he's got to develop his talents in that short-range and intermediate mid-range passing game. You know, he's got that stout arm, but he's got to put some touch on the ball. Uh, last year, Texas held Alabama. Uh, and a guy who turned out to be the top overall pick in the NFL draft, Bryce Young, to only 20 points and only 16 first downs. So I think this is going to be a uh, a defensive game, and even though it's moved against us a little bit, better to get 54 and a half, but even at 54, I think neither team gets out of the 20s here. I like Texas and Alabama to go under 54 and a half Saturday night in Tuscaloosa. So I'm going to get back to some uh, some teams that, unlike Oklahoma and Notre Dame, though those teams, many are singing their praises. Now I'm going to look at a couple of teams or a few teams that uh, are getting the business from, the different, uh, from a different direction, the negative direction. I'm not going to go into great detail on these teams, uh, but don't bury them just yet. You know, first of all, LSU. They've got 11 regular season games remaining. I believe uh, they're still going to be a major player in the SEC West. You know, they had several key players uh, out against Florida State. Uh, they still led 17-14 at the half. They've got a quarterback, uh, Jaden Daniels, who's a talented quarterback, an athletic quarterback. Uh, and like him or not, you know, I, I think Brian Kelly can coach a little bit. And also – you know, probably it should be the most emphasized to the points. Florida State is good. You know, they're awfully good, uh, perhaps playoff good. So that's an outstanding football team. 
with a lot of big-time players uh, on both sides of the ball there for the Seminoles. You know, but don't sleep on the Bayou Bengals. All's not lost. Only one down, 11 to go. So let's see what uh, let's see what happens with LSU. Then there's Texas Tech. I think we talked about them a little bit earlier. They were upset at Wyoming on Saturday as a two touchdown favorite. Um, you know, funny things can happen in Laramie. That's a tough uh, a, a tough place to play. Uh, if uh, you know, talked about Wyoming plus fourteen and had that ticket. Uh, talked about it from the early summer, but I still believe the Red Raiders have an excellent chance of finishing in the top two or three in the Big 12. Uh, they play Oregon uh, there at uh, AT&T Jones Stadium in Lubbock uh, this coming Saturday. Going to be upper 90s at kickoff there in Lubbock, Texas. Texas Tech fans, it's pretty, you know, I think it's fair to say it's a nasty place to play. You know, they might not treat the Ducks like they treat the, the Longhorns or the Sooners or the Aggies, but it's not going to be a hospitable environment for the visitors from Eugene. Uh, they make a lot of noise. They throw a lot of tortillas onto the field if you're not familiar uh, with their fans' behavior there and the atmosphere at AT&T Jones Stadium. Truly one of the most underappreciated and underrated in all of college football. And I'm going to touch briefly on uh, Clemson. You know, they're clearly not on the level of uh, their recent uh, championship caliber teams. There's just no other way to put it. They lack that type of quarterback play at the present, and they also lack those type of wide receivers. You know, they don't have the type of offensive firepower that they've had in in some of these recent years. But they're not going to quit playing football in 2023. They've still got some talent, especially on defense. You know, looking at uh, their quarterback position, uh, Kay Kludnick from Austin, Texas, he still played very little college football. You know, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about him, but it's only based on about, you know, two and a half games. So the guy had, you know, he's still learning. He's still adjusting the speed of the game, just the whole thing. So he's very, very young in his college football career. So give him some time. You know, he's going to get better. How much better, we don't know. They're going to have some receivers step up. You know, I don't think they've got the home run threats, the home run hitters that they've had in some of those years past. But they'll get better collectively at that wide receiver position. And then the defense. The defense is going to be among the nation's best, uh, you know, when all the dust settles uh, around the end of November. Uh, You know, they had their struggles. It was a very poor performance against uh, Duke and Durham on Monday night. They actually outgained. The Blue Devils, though, and uh, twenty-eight to seven final, a little bit misleading. But I wouldn't just totally sleep on Clemson. They don't have a whole lot of time to get things right because they host Florida State there at Death Valley here in a few weeks. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what Clemson team shows up and how they're able to go toe to toe with the Seminoles there on their home field uh, in Clemson, South Carolina. Clemson's home field. So that's going to be really interesting to see how much progress they make between game one and then. Well, that's going to do it for another edition of the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. I've enjoyed being with you again. Uh, enjoy the games this week. And remember, especially if you if you bet college football, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Again, uh, you control it. Don't let it control you. Uh, have fun. Uh, enjoy yourself. And uh, hopefully uh, we'll have more winners than losers. Until next time, signing off once again, I'm Paul Stone. 
Thank you for listening to the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And visit paulstonesports.org to sign up for member-only access to Paul's college football, college basketball, and PGA Tour golf picks and predictions. 